Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 77, and we are here with Guy Danes from Sales Wisdom Academy, and we will be talking about eight keys to sales leadership, and we need sales leadership now more than ever. And with that, I'm going to pay the bills really quickly, and then me and Guy are going to talk about sales and sales leadership. So, If you have been watching our show for any time at all, you know that I wrote a book called Sell a Million, 101 uh, Tips for Furniture and Mattress Store Owners on How to Sell Another Million Dollars. So if you haven't got the book, I don't know what you're waiting for. Go get the book. It's on Amazon. I think it's like $12, $13. I mean, a couple cups of coffee. And I guarantee you, you'll find something in there that you like. If you invest in my book and you read it and you find something that you don't know how to implement and you want to do it, my phone number is 419-560-3169. Call me and I will give you a free half an hour consultant um, and I will go over whatever we need to go over to help you implement it. now. Without a further ado, let me say thank you to the Mattress Industry Network for uh, their support and for sponsoring my show. Steve, thank you for your support of this show. It means the world to me. And this is a great group. Steve, I, wanna, I know we're over 1,400. I think we're around 1,500 now. Around 1,500 uh, people in this free Facebook group. If you want to learn how to build your business, succeed, sell, merchandise better, join the Mattress Industry Network Group on Facebook. Hit that QR code right there. It'll take you right to uh, the Mattress Industry Network. Again, it's over 1,500 now. That must be Steve. Thank you, Steve. And thank you for your sponsorship. I appreciate it. It means more to me than than you know. And with that, let's uh, turn to our guest. Guy, welcome to the show. Three times must be the char. Uh, South Africa Power was not cooperating with us on Monday. So here we are on Friday, and it is my absolute pleasure uh, to be talking to you about sales and sales leadership. How did we meet? We met on LinkedIn, right? Uh, yeah, Pete, I, I was the 5th of June uh, this year. Uh, but- what three weeks ago, and it was on the Moth Hunter uh, LinkedIn show, and we just started talking and connecting, etc. And to the audience, uh, I suppose uh, Peter and I just uh, sort of got on a certain sort of relationship, uh, a digital or virtual relationship. And this is the first time Peter and I've actually met, uh, so we've never met face to face before, and. Uh, and I thank uh, Pete for actually having the patience to put up with uh, the uncontrollables that we have in uh, in Southern Africa or South Africa. So it's a pleasure to be here. I hope the, uh, uh, the, the team will pick up the, and the audience on the theme that we're going to chat about. And it looks, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Thank you. Yes. So I'm glad that we met through Mark Hunter. I love Mark Hunter. I, I think he's he does great things. Uh, and, and I have to say this, anybody who hasn't gotten this book, get it. A Mind for Sales by Mark Hunter. 
I, I, you know, this book is needed now more than ever. And, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, um, we really need to control what we put into our mind. And uh, with that, I am good. I, I know that you have eight keys uh, to sales leadership prepared, and I want you to go through them, but I'm not going to even let you get started with that yet because I've got a question that has been on my mind and on my heart. And I, I think I know how I would answer it, but I want, I want, I want your viewpoint on this because I'm sure you're going to go into it a little bit deeper than may, maybe I would. When you are in a sales leadership position and you're responsible for people and you are responsible for their success, you are responsible for um, setting them up to win, how do you confront the realities of the marketplace? Um, do you paint a rosy picture, maybe rosier than reality, uh, in an attempt to keep them positive? Or do you confront the big issues of the day, put them on the table, and then give them tools and ideas and techniques to overcome whatever uh, is happening at a given point in time? I know that's a mouthful, and I wanted to get your your thoughts on that. Yeah, perfect. And, and obviously, uh, I must just let the audience know I'm dyslexic. So I've got this a white board floating around with a whole lot of circles, etc. So Pete, you might have to bring me back on track. Uh, uh, from a sales leadership point of view, and in South Africa, the audience may know we've been in an L-shaped economy since 2009. Uh, what does that actually mean? It means that the team that you're leading must actually know the realities. And they need to understand uh, firsthand uh, what 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 the business dynamics are, uh, where your business is positioned in the business life cycle relative to your uh, clients and, and where your clients. And because everyone, uh, I suppose, even America with uh, what's been going on over the past while, uh, is. Uh, we, we, we've got to understand that everyone's pressurized and everyone's stressed. Uh, but it's, it's, it's reality check. And uh, I suppose 95% of the staff we have working with us, never for us, um, are over 21. And we need to treat them like adults. But having said that, um, my style historically has been they need to meet, we need to meet halfway. Uh, and, and, and that takes, uh, that, that, that takes, uh, a number of, uh, uh, I, I suppose, one's thinking, uh, and, and how much of an arm's length do you keep with your sales team? Uh, but they need to know the reality. And what I try, what I'll try to do historically over time with clients, uh, because I've been running my business for 25 years and uh, got some gray hair, but I, I learn every day is, is for, uh, everyone in the business to try and understand what, what is the business, what's the business acumen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So look, uh, we'll go to more depth. Uh, it's, uh, and that's, this is part of one of the eight keys that I've put down, but hopefully I'll put that in a nutshell for you. Okay. So let's go to key number one. What is key number one? Okay. So, so for the audience, um, 
through the theme of our, our conversation, it's 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 gonna the theme is based on three areas relationships, over communicating, and accountability. So hopefully they'll pick up that theme as we as we go through our conversation. Uh, and I suppose the goal of today's session is uh, to establish or and to lay some foundations so uh, the B2B clients and maybe even B2C that you have master sales influences and through that you have a winning sales culture. So hopefully that, 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 that um, laid the foundation. The first key, and I, truly I would never have thought of this two years ago, uh, Pete, never ever. Uh, but with 2020 uh, happening, I actually uh, went and did uh, two two online courses. One was a life coaching course and one was an NLP course. So if I'm leading a team now, um, ir and irrespective of uh, the investment involved, my whole sales team, they would be asked to go and do a, a life coaching course. Um, and I did once through the Transformation Academy, Joel and Nettie back in 2020, and, and they, they're they're in they they they're in the states, and why do I say that? Two reasons mainly. Um, the foundation is once you've spent twelve or fifteen hours online doing a life coaching course, you'll actually understand yourself better. Whether you're twenty eight, whether you're thirty five, whether you're forty two, whether you're fifty, um, and that will lay a foundation for you understanding yourself better and quicker. And I think subsequently will help you understand um, your clients better. Uh, and, and I think it's a fundamental today. Uh, let's take it a step further. Those staff that don't want to invest in upskilling and actually looking without uh, outside the boundaries um, of the sales industry in terms of upskilling, uh, then maybe they they need to be a bit they might be a bit short sighted. You see, here in South Africa, just the whole dynamic is different, um, and I, I suppose there's, there's there's areas where we um, we need to sharpen up. Um, but life coaching is a fundamental, and then it'll tell you a lot about the employer and the employee. The employee wants to invest, and the employee. Will the employee find over 20 working days, 40 working days, uh, allocation of time, whether it's 12 or 15 hours, or one of these life coaching courses? Um, that's the first area in terms of the first key. The second key is what I usually like to use with people is called the Johari window. And uh, I first got exposed to that in 1984. And effectively, the Johari's window uh, without going into, you know, one could, could spend hours on it. It's basically in four areas. It's at, it's what's known to other people. It's what's known to you. And then you have blind spots. And then there's areas of development. And funny enough, I was with uh, a whole bunch of CEOs and, uh, and entrepreneurs in uh, 2021, where we actually went through the Johari's window. And uh, it was actually quite fascinating what came out at, at, at that sort of leadership level. So, so I suppose the, 
the 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 first key is um, understanding yourself as a person and where you at, and understanding the team dynamics and and where the team's at, and with those CEOs and uh, the entrepreneurs, it was amazing what actually came out. And everyone's mind was stretched. Uh, we were challenged, and, and it was all facilitated uh, by excellent facilitator uh, Peter Brickdell, uh, who part of the Inspired CEOs group in, in the UK. So the first key uh, to to successful leadership has got to be um, on, on, on your on your tribe member, on your staff, uh, on your on your sales professional. Um, How's that? Cool. So, going back to Jahari's window. Yep. What's known to other people? What's known to you? And what's the next one? So that uh, is is the blind spots. Where, blind spots. Yeah, where people can actually see things, um, and you don't know about it. And you get into a discussion where they say, God, did you realize this is your blind spot uh, because of X, Y, Z? This is how I perceive it. And um, then I suppose all the, all the uh, academics, et cetera, will agree and say all perceptions are reality. And then the other area is the unknown area, the area that can be developed within the individual. But in context, I suppose one's got to look at uh, the personality styles of the individual. Um, and I suppose, Peter, you and I, we know there's all, all sort of different personality styles, but because of our ages, we can move within the different four personality styles at any point in time. Um, and, and, and so it's really understanding um, the relationship with yourself and the relationship with your sales leader and your sales leader actually having that understanding of you, um, you know, outside of, you know, you and your whole family doing this or that, et cetera, et cetera. Because as a sales need leader, you need to know which which buttons to push to actually build a person up uh, and to right. maybe rectify certain uh, areas that they need to address and, uh, and, and be accountable. Yeah. Um, I want to dive into um I, I want to dive into this overarching you started off with relationships and you started off and then you went to over communicating and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh something that we've all seen but sometimes in practice we fall short and that's this idea of you know whether I give 50% and the other person gives 50%, that's not enough. It, it, something could fall in between the crack there. If, if, if I know the other person's given 50%, I've got to give, tw- I got to give 70% because I want 20% overlap. I, I want to make sure that we're communicating. And, and one of the, the things that I constantly, uh, remind my store owners who are asking me specifics and it's like, Billy Joe did this, 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 and that. And they're almost appalled when I ask them, well, 
regarding this and that, is that in their job description? And when the very first time they didn't do it or they did it wrong, did you give them feedback? And you get this blank look, you know, on their face. And it's very important that we establish very clearly what the metrics are, what the tools are, what the expectations are. And then the onus is on us to give consistent feedback. And that means the very first time they mess up, we got to jump on it nicely, gently, professionally, but we can't let it slide. You can't let it get to the 10th infraction and then you're so, you know, you're so revved up and full of emotion that you really don't put your best foot forward with it. When it's the yep. very first time, you can say, listen, you've been doing great. And by the way, this is the first time I've ever heard blah, blah, blah. That's not how we do it. We do it this way and give them that exactly word for word, the script and the principle behind it. So they don't forget it because everybody's free to use their own words and that's always better, but the principles never change. We need to communicate with our customers very, very clearly. And then when uh, we finish that conversation, we give them an attaboy for the extra effort. And by the way, I've noticed you've been doing X, Y, and Z extra, and I really appreciate that extra effort. And I hope to see that continue. So this over-communicate piece of it, I think is brilliant. And I just wanted to commend you for that. And if you look at key number one, it rolls into key number two. and and. For the audience, specifically, uh, I'm talking B2B, but it, it, it actually goes with any sales professional. Um, and I see on your profile, Peter, that uh, we've got a number of uh, responsibilities or functions. The one you put there, a sales representative, which is really good to see and refreshing because you see all these fancy names nowadays that are supposed to uh, catch buyers uh, attention, et cetera. But look, that's for maybe another day. But the key number two, um, there's two things. Um, trainers tell and coaches guide, right? Mm, so that's brilliant. That's, so we, we've got to understand that. So, and your team needs to understand that at any point in time with you over communicating, and I'll, I'll explain what, what over communicating means in my, in my, my mind. Sure. Is, is that uh, I'm going to be training you sometimes and where I'm going to say, I'm telling you, you need to do X, Y, Z. Um, and this is the reason why. And then there's coaching where you're guiding. So it's going to be a combination of that. But if I take that uh, within the team context is um, results show me or, or research 10 to 15% of sales leaders actually do sales development coaching. They all do sales performance coaching, which is the matrixes, et cetera, et cetera, the benchmarks, et cetera. Very few do the sales development coaching. And so, you know, one can get into the discussion about 
the art and science of selling. Fundamentally, uh, if you look at it, there's a weekly review meeting or a monthly or a quarterly, all on performance. But how many how many sales leaders spend coaching time, coaching uh, the, the 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 team members in terms of where to upskill, uh, why to upskill, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's that's a really key part. And the, the over-communicating is for the staff member to actually understand and communicate back with you in the right tone. Um, I, I follow Socrates, the, the Greek philosopher, and he says, um, you must question everything. And I said, I love people questioning everything as long as, as long as it's in context and as, as long as it's in the right tone. Because by doing that, then you're getting this, this, this open communicating. Um, because a lot of people complain the communication bad in this business. Uh, the boss is not communicating. The, the, the leader will say, well, my team's not communicating with me. Uh, and we've all heard the rubbish about, I have an open door policy. You know, that's just lip service. That's just talking the talk, not walking the walk, uh, as I understand. So, well, well, open door works really great uh, all the way up until the execution. Kendall Wright. <laughs> Kendall, yeah. Kendall Wright. The fact remains that significant and substantive improvement requires accountability. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is that your buddy? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a great question. And Kendall, I want to thank you for this uh, late afternoon on a Friday where you uh, come to come to join Peter and I. And I, I know is, if if I'm correct, uh, July the fourth is around the corner, and that's Thanksgiving, yeah. etc. So Kendall, uh, Kendall is a, a good friend that we met on uh, LinkedIn two years ago, and uh, Kendall is uh, of Ohio. He, he's from Ohio. He's he put out recently a, a top uh, leadership book. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, significance and substance improvement requires accountability. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that is yeah. so on the money, Kendall. So on the money, and you know what? It's not easy, right? Accountability uh, is easy is an easy word to say, and it's a harder word to execute. And you know when we're executing. And, you know, it's a, to me, in the way that I lead, it's a two-way street. Uh, I tell my people, I'm accountable to you for this. And you're accountable to me for this and that and the other. If I ever let you down, please let me know. And if I ever see room for improvement with you, I'm going to share that with you too. Is that okay? Now, the answer to that, is that okay? Better be yes. Or we have a significant problem, right? Peter, and you did right. And if you look at the makeup of sales teams worldwide, as I understand it, and I picked this up from John Maxwell, that great leadership guru, a number of years ago. And he might not use the same phrases, but in your in your team, you have totally committed people. You have mavericks and cynics, and then you have passengers, and then you have naive staff. And then naive staff maybe are new to your business, or they're young, and they need to learn a few things. Uh, so 
in your in your business you've got that dynamic of uh, how, uh, how does the accountability, uh, the over communication, and the relationships fall in place with those different parts of individuals that make up your business? Because every business has 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 a percentage of those four, in my view. Um, so, uh, and, and and it's about meeting each other consistently halfway. We all over twenty-one. We know what it's about. So let's let's have that what I call courageous conversations um, about where are you going, where are we going, and and more importantly, you know, we're fighting in the marketplace. It's, it's, it's marketing warfare, uh, and, and we we need to understand that uh, we've got to position ourselves better as individuals. Um, and as leaders, continually, it, it's 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 not just a, a nine to five job. It's uh, it's it takes it goes beyond that continually. Yeah, you know, and the interesting thing, you know, you, you're coming at this from B to B, but everything that you say, guy, applies applies B to C as well. Um, you know, I started off B2C. I started off as a retail salesman, a retail store manager, then a general manager of stores. And then I became a sales rep. And and then it's been B2B ever since. And, yeah. uh, but I've never all the way had my, my feet out of retail because my customer is a retail store owner. And yep. to the degree that I can help him or her be more successful, that increases my success of, of my lines, right? So it's it's my absolute, it's in my absolute best interest to help every store owner to sell more and to be a better store owner. And a lot of being a really great store owner has to do with what we're talking about, sales leadership. And I love that question, everything. I think that's so good. Um, we want in our culture openness. We want dialogue. The more dialogue and the more openness that we have, the more success we're going to have. Because when a teammate feels like he or, he or she has input and they can shape the culture of the company and they can shape what happens in, in the company. They're invested in the company. They've got skin in the game. And when you have skin in the game and your voice is being heard and you're valued, you are going to give that company everything you've got because you've got a seat at the table. And, you know, traditionally, I don't think businesses were run that way. When you go back 30, 40 years ago, it was, this is your job, do your job, sit down and shut up and don't talk to us. And of course, some of us got very good at our jobs. And then we started our own companies because we didn't want to sit down and shut up. Right? <laughs> that's it. Right? Yeah, did right. You did right. And that's where I suppose over time, if you look at the amount of people that have worked with you over 25 years, uh, many of them have more than likely gone on to be their own bosses or entrepreneur, et cetera. And, and, that's, uh, and those are the opportunities uh, that 
that comes with uh, a certain type of, of, of leadership because I, I think as leaders, we must be pretty crazy or pretty dumb or whatever if we think that we're going to have tons of staff that are going to stay with us for 20 or 30 years. There are always exceptions to the rule, and, and, and I don't like to focus on the exceptions to the rule, but it, it, what's great is someone starts a business and says, you know what, I started this because I learned from Pete. Uh, some of these fundamentals, and uh, I learned from that person, and, and and that person gave me the energy and the and the self belief, etc. Because I was in an environment to actually go and expand myself. Uh, and what does that do? That helps the economy. You know, yeah. that helps. Uh, you know, there's a knock-on effect. So yeah, very interesting. Very. So I want to dive into something that you said earlier. Oh, Patrick, Patrick. Happy Canada Day. I am so sorry that I have not reached out to my Canadian friends today. Happy Canada Day. And uh, let's see what Patrick has to say. I, I love Patrick Tinney, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Pete and Guy, how do you encourage positive risk and creativity in your sales teams? Ooh, that's a great question. Go ahead, Guy. Uh, fantastic. And in, in, in two parts, um, as a sales leader, you know, a lot of people talk about innovation. Uh, and to me, the key thing is uh, if, if you're helping your team understand the business dynamics, the business human of your business, and you're asking them to actually get creative, and what does creative actually mean? So a lot of businesses need to be internally creative. Um, with, with, with that creativity or with any decision we make in a business as a leader or individual, but let's say as a leader, the risks are as following. When you make a decision that has a financial impact, uh, one way or the other, it has a people, a people impact. Uh, it has, uh, it has an impact on, on your clients. So you've got to look at saying, if I'm making this decision, uh, this was the creativity, this was the idea. And, and it's very difficult to try and... Behind me, I've got a sign that says, uh, there's more, there, there will always be more good ideas than there's capacity to execute. So mm-hmm. um, one's got to... And as a sales leader, you've got to be nimble. You've got to be on your game because if you're putting out to your store, Give me some creative ideas. Let's look at where we're at. And, and you've got to be able to feel those. You've got to be able to have one-on-ones with the team who work with the, with, uh, the individual. Um, and, that, and that gets back to um, how, you, how you're developing that relationship. And then in the team dynamics, you see, and it gets back to what sort of rituals are you having in your business as a sales leader mm. uh, with an output of virtual um, to actually keep... Uh, the thinking going, and, and the team does get tired from time to time, without a doubt. Uh, so there's no easy answer. It's just continually um, looking at, to me, where's the relationship level? How are you over-communicating? Are you over-communicating in the right areas? And, and, uh, and do we understand the risks when we make any decisions? And... With the creativity, uh, that in itself can save internal efficiencies um, and, and make one more maybe cost-effective. Um, so you can go to the market um, with a better mind, 
or a slightly different competitive to the Blanchard. So let's see about so, today. No, you did answer that. Uh, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pat. You are such a gentleman. Pat, I have a story that popped into my head. Uh, to encourage risk, uh, I'm going to tell you a story about Lou Barna. He was a truck driver uh, and he was put on the sales floor and he was failing as a salesman. And my the store owner, uh, Craig Price, told me if Lou doesn't hit XYZ number today, he's gone. You cannot protect him anymore. Because I kept saying, I think Lou's going to be great. He needs more time. He needs more time. And in my 40-year career, I have said that to hundreds of sales executives when I've been trying to protect the guys underneath me. Um, so encourage risk. Let me tell you, I, I had just been told by Craig that Lou's gone at the end of the day. Lou has a customer and they um, they have some interest in a living room set. And it would be just about the amount that he needs to push him over for the day. I had literally fed him all of my sales to make his numbers look better, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. And that's one of my personality weaknesses and faults. I, I sometimes throw people on my back and try to carry them across the goal line. So Lou is not quite closing the sale and it, it's not happening. And so to encourage risk, my first principle is to let that salesperson know exactly where they stand. So I brought Lou in the back and I said, Lou, you've got to close this sale because he was pussyfooting around. And this is 1984, 1985. He was messing around. He was not, you know, doing what he had to do to make this sale happen. And I just let him know. I said, you have to close this sale. He goes, what do you mean I have to close this sale? I said, Lou, you have to close this sale. I've been protecting you as long as I can. You, we, you need to close this sale. And he said, I've tried everything. And I said, you haven't tried everything. You have to close the sale. Do you want me to take it over or do you want to close it yourself? And he's like, I'll do it myself. And so he goes into a summary and the, the woman wants it. The guy, her husband, he wants to handle. He, he, wants, to, he wants a deal. And the reality dropped once. And basically, um, the guy, after Lou summarized the features and benefits and kept reiterating that your wife loves it, and the wife's sitting there going, yes, I love it. And the guy says, why should I buy right now? And Lou did not know what to say, but I had just hammered him, right? I let him know exactly where he stood. And he leans over and he says, why not? And the guy just melted and said, okay, and wrote the check. And so I think a lot of times we need to let our salespeople know where they are, that, you know what, there's a risk in playing it safe. And there's a greater risk in not attempting than there is to attempt. And the other thing that I would say, Pat, to, to, to answer your question more completely 
there's going to be a time when we encourage a salesperson to be creative and they fall flat on their face. And do you know what we got to do? Here's your bonus as if he made it or she made it. Here's your bonus as if you made it. Now you know that that didn't work. It might work next time. That, what you did just right there, that's never going to work. So let's modify it next time. But you get an A plus and a gold star for trying. And every time they are creative and they go outside of their comfort zone and they fail, we as a sales leader have to support them and we have to, you know, coach them and give them some feedback. You know, maybe I wouldn't say it exactly that way. Maybe I would say it this way, but support them. Yeah, why not? Thanks, Pat. That was a great question. Guy and Pete, what is the most important question you ask a potential sales professional as you go through the hiring process? Oh, I've got, I've got that, but I'm going to let you go first. Guy, you're the guest. Yeah, what That's is the most great, important? What is the most important question when you're in the hiring process that okay. you ask a potential sales professional? It's a great question. Uh, there's obviously two or three, but uh, one of the key ones: uh, one, why are they why are they in the sales profession? Uh, well, why did they join the sales profession? Uh, what what really excites them about the sales profession? Uh, and that's fundamentally, you, you can pick up uh, a couple of uh, how they answer is why, 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 why would you like to be a sales professional? I, I've done research on that over the years. Um, and it, it, the research has been mixed. A lot say, I just want to earn the money. It's where the money is at. Um, a lot say, because I want to help people, uh, with various solutions that, that they need. Uh, and want, but they don't really understand it. So that's the uh, that that's uh, the first question. One of the first questions that I will go. Yeah, that's very that's very good. All right, Pat. That triggers two stories. I was the VP of Sales at White Dove, <laughs> and uh, Henry Goodman was doing some um, uh, so, some fundraising with Warren Buffett. And so they're at the dinner and it's, you know, uh, the dedication dinner where they dedicate the, the arena that they had been raising money for. And Henry leans over and says, you know, for the last two to three years, we've been working on this project, Warren. And if I'm out of bounds, tell me, but I'd like to ask you some advice. And Warren just smiles and says, sure, Henry, go ahead, ask. He goes, you know, how do you, hire a really good salesperson, like a VP of sales or just a regular salesperson? How do you know? And he goes, you know, that's not really my specialty, but I, I will tell you this, that if you ask a really great salesperson how they feel about sales and it gushes out of them how much they love it, I mean, they can't contain themselves. It's like a champagne cork and it's bubbling out. They cannot, cannot contain themselves. That's the salesperson for you. And then the other answer to your question, and the first time I did it, it was years and years before the term behavioral interview ever came into existence. I did it. And I 
did it just out of instinct. And the first time I did it, I did it to a guy who I love like a brother, Tony Catanza, who's been one of the most outstanding sales executives in our industry. And uh, I'm proud to say that I took him from a furniture guy to a mattress guy. And in the interview, I said, I'm just not feeling it, Tony. I, I don't know what to tell you. And, and he did everything. He isolated the objection. And, and then he went into what my future looked like without him. And it was bleak and stark and without color and music and love and the full amount of volume that I could do without him. And he leans over to me and he says, no one will work harder to make this company successful than I will. And I'll tell you what, that's, I wanted him to sell me. I wanted him to, I gave him an obje, a, a crappy objection, right? Because a specific objection is easy to answer for any good salesman, but it's those vague, non-answerable objections that are tough, right? So I made him behave like a salesman in the hiring process. It's called now, today, it's called a behavioral interview where you actually make them demonstrate they're selling skills to you in the interview. So, yeah, yeah that, no, you, great you, question. You, yeah, you did that. Oh, <laughs> here, I, Kyle, I love you. You are an amazing human being. When we were having technical problems and you reached out to help your dad, I, I just absolutely fell in love with you. So, thank you for your question. Hi, Guy and Pete. Can you explain to us the importance? of a sales professional understanding the importance of their thoughts, discipline, behavior, and habits. Dude, that could take us three hours. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a great question. I'm, um, I'm going to let you have at that first, my friend. Uh, yeah, it's look, fundamentally a lot of uh, people stay in your mindset, but at the end of the day, uh, it's the TDBH model. And in your TDBH model, your thoughts, uh, like everyone knows, but only 10% actually look at it and work on it. And once you've actually got that in your, in your thinking, then you've got to say, what's my discipline like? How, how, what is my personal discipline? And, and then I get back to personal leadership. What is your personal leadership? Uh, where's it at? Because most of us know uh, we have positive and negative thoughts. Most of us know the sort of discipline, and then we know what's good or indifferent or bad behavior, and then we know our habits. So my foundation always in talking with anyone is the TDBH model, and and to actually work through that. So it, it's it's top of the mind continually. Those four items play their role every single day in your interaction with anyone. Um, simply put, uh, that is that's money right there. Thoughts, discipline, behavior, and habits. One of the things that when we are when I'm talking to a salesperson. 
specifically, if we're talking about a new goal, I, I say great. And so I basically walk through this, but I, and the last thing that I say is what are you going to change in your daily routine to be able to accomplish this goal? And that goes right into habits and behavior, right? And um, sometimes there's some fogginess on the salesperson's uh, behalf where they're not sure of what they want the outcome to be. Right. And sometimes we spend some time sharpening that for them. Right. And sometimes yep. it's as simple as, do you want to know something? Christmas is coming up and I've got a three year old and a six year old and I want them to have a good Christmas and I'm not making enough money to give them a good Christmas, you know, and, and, and that's overly and simple and, and materialistic. I, I understand all that. But okay. So what thoughts, discipline, behavior and habits do we need to develop? And yeah, yeah, and it's and and, and this something to, to me because I have a simple mind. It, it's it's just a fundamental foundation of who you are as a person. Because um, mm. we we need to understand that and put it into your own context as an individual. And how does that feed as a sales leader or feed into the team and into the the greater organization around you? Uh, and it's a it's a good discussion to have at a at a sales sales team ritual uh, to get different inputs on what the team thinks on those four sort of different areas. You know, expanding on that just a tiny bit, and, and maybe actually going backwards from it. I, I this is one of the things that people hate about me because I can be very blunt. But I always say this: when you start to complain to me about your personnel this is what I'm going to say to you sooner or later you attract what you are. And for sure you attract, um, you, you end up with a team of people that at the very minimum you've tolerated, right? So you should have attracted the right person to begin with. You should have trained them consistently giving them feedback on a regular basis and they should uh, be a reflection on you. And if they're not, you really have to, as a sales leader, look in the mirror. And the very first thing that I always do, whenever there's a problem in sales, the very first thing I ask myself is what, what have I done in terms of defining their job, what have I done in terms of modeling the behaviors I want? Have I gone into the field and have I, have I made sales in front of them? When I was a retail store manager, I could close a sale right in front of them and then we could talk about it afterwards. When I became a VP of sales twice in my career and as the president of my own uh, company, you know, I go out in the field, I travel with my salespeople, I make sales that they didn't think I could make. And then we talk about it. And, you know, every good salesperson has this inside of him or her. If he can do it, I can do it. And you want to know something? I think I can do it better. They have that. They have that. 
Yeah. And uh, as you've explained, Pete, the, 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 the third key to me is how much time is the sales leaders spending in the trenches mm -hmm. with their sales team? And, and, uh, and over the past two years, how much time is the sales leader actually on digital uh, Zoom or Teams meeting with the salesperson interacting with a potential client or a client or back in the day and more recently because things are opened up, actually traveling what I call dual calling with the salesperson to actually see a client. And kids, instead of sitting in the ivory tower for eight hours a day, how much time are they spending down in the trenches? And, and that's, uh, you might see Mark Persona or whatever, that's where the action is. Uh, the time to be up in the ivory tower is what I call PM2 cloud. So I try to say to sales people and sales, you break your day into three, AM, PM1, and PM2. And PM, late PM1 and PM2 uh, is late afternoon, evenings. But during the day, you've got to spend your time in the cold place because that's where you're going to understand uh, a whole lot of different dynamics uh, about the salesperson, your sales uh, lady or gent and, and, and your clients. So that's the third key is being actually in the trenches and, and you've explained it in your experience uh, being there in the trenches. Yeah. You know, are you a desk jockey? Are you just running the numbers and riding the desk? And I think that comes from Mike Weinberg. A lot of what I say comes from Weinberg because I just... I love I love all of his books and he's just he's he's special. Uh one in a one in a trillion uh that dude. What's number four? Um so the the next point is as a sales leader, uh you need to follow four or five sales gurus um locally and maybe one internationally. Uh, wherever that person may be, to get a flavor uh, and, and, and a fundamental feel for uh, what, what their message is. Uh, I say that just simply from my perspective, uh, to, to, to try to follow 10, 15, sometimes the message gets um, uh, mislaid or mixed, um, but that's maybe just because uh, of my dyslexic uh, mind. But you need to actually understand certain messages and follow certain sales gurus because they are sales gurus uh, in, in many ways. And I think as a sales leader, whether you've been in a two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you need to do that. But you need to see what works for you. Uh, I, I, I follow three or four, uh, sometimes five, but I have fundamentally uh, a set pattern, uh, which is systematic and it's part of my process. Uh, to actually understand and follow and see the messages they're continually communicating on the sales profession. Um, and so that's, that to me is the key. So who are your guys? So, so, who, are your, so uh, who, back, who are your guys? Okay, so back in the day, because as you may know, I'm 66 years young, uh, was Alfred Tech, who's a leading uh, sales trainer in, in the UK, then there was Tom Hopkins, who I saw live, and then there was Zig Ziglar, etc. Um, and then, uh, obviously, because of if in South African context, we have quite a lot of uh, uh, American flavor, in my view. Uh, 
is uh, the likes of uh, Mark Hunter, uh, Jeb, um, Jeb Antonio. Uh, so there are those. Uh, and then locally, there's a guy called Mark Keating who runs a company called Sales Guru. Um, we suppose in some ways are, are competitive, but he runs a very, a very successful local South African business and has spoken uh, worldwide. So those are the, the current uh, current uh, sales leaders that, that I like to keep up to, uh, up to tune with. And obviously yourself now. So, uh, you know, and usually I'm not that kind, but uh, obviously yourself. <laughs> well, thank you, Guy. I'll add you to my list too. It's it's obvious to your um you're 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 a very accomplished sales guy. So my very first sales book was uh, hundred hundred ways to close a sale by Zig Ziglar. <clears throat> I was a horrible salesperson, and reading that book really kind of changed uh, my life. And <clears throat> Tom Hopkins was another big one. And you're going to love this. So if you read the acknowledgments or the foreword of his book, uh, he mentions his mentor. And his mentor was a gentleman by the name of J. Douglas Edwards, which was an incredible powerhouse. And so I was given a present. Do you remember these vinyl discs that we had and they put a needle on it? Well, <laughs> I have Jay Douglas Edward sales training records. And this guy was phenomenal. And what a great voice. I mean, just phenomenal. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you with uh, Jeb Blunt, Mark Hunter, Mike Weinberg. <clears throat> Anthony, I, oh, and I, Jeffrey Gittemer, uh, I forget. He, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Gittemer yeah. was a big influence with me as well. Um, oh. Anthony, Iana Reno and Victor Antonio. Those are my, those are my guys. Um, so I've got us up to five and I'm trying number six. I knew we would do this. I knew we would run over, but this is great. Oh, whoa, whoa. Put that back up. Do you have any? Do you have a game plan for every four-legged call? I'm going to answer uh, that. Yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? You have to. Now, are you calling a four-legged call? You're you're with your boss, Pat. Is that what you're saying? Be, because yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say being, being a VP of sales twice, I always told my salespeople, "Don't you ever drag me in." to a retailer without a game plan. I I need to know everything about this account and I need to know why we're there. So there better be a game plan or you're not going to have a job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have let you go first, guy. No, no. I, I, I looked at a four-legged uh, call that, that's new to me in South Africa. I've never heard, never heard of that expression before. So, yeah, if uh, Patrick could let, let me know what that actually means, I, I honestly don't know what that means. Yeah, that that four means you you and your supervisor four legged. I like call. it. Yeah, yeah. So so on the dual calling is obviously what's the call objective? Uh, what do we know about the cloud? Where are we with the relationship? Uh, how are you assessing the relationship based on what? Um, 
what, what other dynamics are, are there any curveballs? Are we talking to the decision maker, the influencers? Uh, so the way we act. So it, it's a, it's a to me uh, it's a it's a one page uh, summary point form uh, to keep me up to speed, so I can actually tune in. And then also say, can you let me know if you want me to come in. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting listening to you and supporting you where need be. Um, so, yeah. So, under, on that understanding of it, yeah, I've answered Patrick. You, um, you sound exactly like me. I, I uh, my, my job when I am the supervisor, um, the sales executive in the situation is basically to shut up. Shut up, listen, let my salesperson do the th- do his or her thing and support them wherever possible. I am a I am a big guy. I do not believe in death by PowerPoint. I think buyers hate PowerPoints. And you know, I, I'm a big believer. <clears throat> when we started this, this paper was empty. And as you can see, it's full. <laughs> When I go in uh, to a customer, I have a blank piece of paper. It's actually my my journal, and it's blank, and there's nothing written on it. And the very first time they see me something write writing is when they tell me something. I, you know, I'm there to get information, not give information. And when we need to give information, you know, we do that. So I'm dying to know. Six, seven, and eight, and you don't have to do them all that's, at once. Take your time. If we go a little <laughs> over, it's okay. That's, that's, so, so the 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 fifth, the, the fifth key is um, specifically relative to client re- retention strategy. And do you know where your client is in it in in your in your client's business life cycle? Because and they're different words, but. Most 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 businesses are actually uh, in the growth phase, uh, the maturity phase. I like to call it uh, the arrogance and complacency phase, or they're in the getting your act phase, or they're in the decline phase. Because, and and where do you know where they are, and how do you know? And so, you obviously through your existing clients and your client retention strategy, you need advocates. So if you look at the historical classical marketing uh, relationship ladder uh, that that I use, is how many of your existing clients are advocates who who openly refer business to you? Uh, that's huge. And and, and 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 part of that is how you're connecting with those clients with collaboration and clarity. Uh, of your thinking. But within that, I'll say to a lot of sales leaders, when did you last fire a client? And they look at me and say, oh, what do you mean, love? Or when did you last fire a client? I said, it's one of the first questions I asked them. Well, it's a, it's a number. But I say, when did you last? And they would say, no, we don't fire clients. And I say, well, is every client uh, high potential or uh, how many clients are, are high maintenance? Are they at the right profitability level? Uh, what is their what is their volumes to you? Have you really analyzed them? And they say, we end up firing a couple of couple of clients, and, and that's the deal. So it's it's part of the second key is yes, we all got a prospect, we all got to find new clients, etc. But do we really know our existing clients well enough 
to actually get them to refer business to us and then how can we upsell or how can we look at the new solutions that they need from us because the market dynamics are changing. Um, so, so let me just jump on that really quick. What you're going to find, um, and this is for reps um, more than it is for retailers, but I'm going to convert this over to uh, store owners very quickly. Um, reps, look at your territories. You're going to notice that most of your return problems, most of your complaints come from low volume customers. When you finally wake up to the fact that they're draining you, they're draining your team, and you've had consultation with your manufacturer and you guys decide to fire them, it'll be the most liberating thing that you've ever done. It, you will find out that you have time to get a brand new customer in that area that won't have a high return rate, that won't complain, and that will give you significantly more volume. So let me kind of bring this over to um, a store level for a store owner. Are we doing everything as a sales professional on a retail floor to really uncover the customer's need deeply? I'm give you an example of when to walk away. Okay. And store owners, don't get mad at me for this, but I was told by Craig Price at Price Chopper Furniture that you walk away when you realize that you cannot win. And so this customer uh, said, I've returned, I bought five sofas in the last three months and I've returned every one of them. And I said, at different stores? She goes, yeah. And I go, why? She goes, well, I'll show you why. And she looks at this fabric and she goes, you see that? That's a defect. And I said, ma'am, that's random shade and that a velvet displays. It looks darker and then it looks shinier. That is the way it is. So we walked her all the way through. I kept her away from velvets. What did she do at the end of the sale? Guy, guess what she did? She picked out a velvet. And guess what I did? I didn't sell it to her. And then she puts her hands on their hips and she says, but the customer is the king. And I said, not at this store. You've returned five sofas to five different stores because of the way the fabric is. That's the way that is. No, I will not sell that to you. Absolutely not. You can buy any other sofa in the store, but you can't buy that one. And she walked. And you know what? I saved my company so much money, it's ridiculous. So not every customer is a good customer. And the customer isn't king. The customer is a human being who should be treated with dignity and respect. But your salespeople should be treated with dignity and respect store owners. So please don't make your professional salespeople doormats. Treat yep. them with respect and dignity and have them treat your customers with respect and dignity. But when you are about to walk into a, a no-win situation for your company, let's hope that you coach your sales pros to have the judgment to walk away from a really nasty customer, a really bad deal, and a zero-star, a zero, uh, uh, the opposite of a five-star review, one-star or zero-stars. 
But what is the last one? You've got one more here. Uh, um, uh, uh, just uh, two, uh, two more. So uh, I picked this up about 10, 15 years ago, if you think of it logically. Um, and I think uh, Robin Sharma, the great motivational uh, speaker, came up with the greatness guides. And well, I love over, Robin. I love yeah, that. Yeah, and, He's great. And uh, uh, this is going back 10, 12 years, where he says, uh, have leaders without the title. And I suppose if, mm-hmm. if, if you say that to your team, what does that actually mean? I, mean, I, 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 w- I would like a team around me, with me, that are leaders that don't have titles because A, we're over 21. B, we've gone through uh, a number of self-development areas, levels of understanding and knowing each other. And some are going to fall off the bus. That's just reality. But in the main, can you be a leader without a title? Can you lead and 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 and, and have uh, and demonstrate and have pride in, in in the brand that you're selling? Can you lead and um, lead yourself? Can you help others uh, to 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 lead themselves? And and through leading yourself better, um, you're helping your sales leader. Uh, and so that's why I always say we've got to meet here. We continually got to meet and talk about these things, and we've got to be open about it. Uh, so it's, to me, the eight key is be a leader without a title. Uh, you know, titles can get people all booked up and whatever, but you can see it in their thoughts and their discipline, their behavior and their habits. Uh, and then you can see it in their relationships, and you can see how they handle accountability. Uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, and the other point is... Uh, you know, we sales professionals, so we need to set the example within our organization. We need to have uh, outstanding internal relationships within other departments because we are the that. sales professional. We are the sales, so we need to demonstrate daily, weekly, hourly, wherever we are in our organization that we are flying the flag, that the support team is supporting us, and are we building relationships that Many people have coined the phrase internal customer, your internal customer. And I think that that gets lost a lot with a lot of youngsters today in terms of some arrogance or, or whatever. And maybe it's everyone's under pressure and stress and we forget about that. We are the sales professional. So we must have the relationships internally. We have those internally. The power and the impact externally is going to be quadrupled, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, I put those eight keys. I know we've gone over time, but have you given some context to to? Uh, ha, yeah, ha, ha. we li- listen. We we could have gone for another hour, easy. Maybe I should have just stopped it and had you come back on. But we'll, we'll have you back on. This was this was an absolute treat for me. I told you we were going to have fun. I'm so glad that we didn't talk before. Because this, yeah, everyone's going to know that this was just spontaneous the way this happened. So it's yep. a it's a beautiful thing. And yes, I wrote down internal customers. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Um, you as a sales, and, and this is I'm I'm going to address sales reps and then store owners. Sales yep. reps, you want your internal people to treat your customers like gold. And the best way for you to do that 
is to treat your internal customers, your customer service people like gold. I'm going to tell you something that happened at one of my companies. Um, There was a customer service person at one of the companies that I worked for uh, that did not like me. And everybody else in that company absolutely loved and adored me. Um, and I, er- I earned that. And a, this, uh, this person, he actually entered an order in a way that I would not get paid commission on it. And his supervisor saw what he did. And it was really, really dirty. And then watched him. Didn't call him out. Watched it. He did it again the next week. And then they fi- they fired him. And of course, they reversed it and they made it right. You cannot afford as a sales rep to have enemies at the home office. Make those people your friends. Make them your friends. Now, st- store owners. Um, probably one of the most impactful things that I've ever seen in my life was a July 4th picnic and uh, we were all there and it was a manufacturer and the president of the company addressed the office and said, I'm tired of you complaining about the salespeople and uh, without the salespeople, you'd have no jobs. You need to treat the salespeople with respect. And I want you to stop complaining about operations. They're doing the best they can. And without them, you don't have a job. And he went through each and every, uh, each each and every faction. So when he got to sales professionals, he said, "Are you treating your uh, your office people with the respect and dignity that you want to be treated with?" In many cases, you're not. You're upset. You need to treat them great. Operations. Yes, they mess up every now and again. You need to make operations your best friend salespeople because without operations, nothing gets built, nothing gets shipped, and you don't make any money. And so he went through the whole thing and he made us realize, you know, we were all like, yeah, 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 give it to him or give it to her. But then when it was our turn to evaluate our behavior, we had to address some uncomfortable things. And we had to realize that maybe I wasn't the best teammate. And what do I need to do to be the best teammate? Because we can't have the best company without being the best teammate. So what I would say to my store owners is make sure everybody is on the same page. Make sure that whoever answers the phone, if it's separate from your sales staff, they're trained to work in unison with the sales team and they're all singing from the same hymnal. They're all singing the same song at the same time with the same tone. They're all there to service the customers. Everybody in the company, your delivery drivers, your uh, the girl that answers your phone or the guy that answers your phone, forgive me, and your salespeople, and your executives all need to know that you live and die by five-star online reviews, customer referrals, and testimonials. And if we don't get these from our customers, we fail. And that includes a delivery driver. I didn't say that on accident. One of the best retailers in this country, Gardner's Mattress and More in Lancaster, those drivers don't leave unless they've gone through a certain script. 
getting five-star online reviews for their salespeople who should have given the customer such a great experience that they happily give it. But everybody in that company is on the same page. They all understand this is who we are. This is what we do. And we're going to support each other and we're going to cheer each other on. And guys, I know we've got to wrap this up. Let me say this. When times are good, everything that guy talked about is important. When times are good. When times aren't as good, when we are entering challenging times now, these things become critical. They become more important than ever. Guy, I'm going to give you the last word. I want to thank you up and down for such a, a great show today. Uh, Peter, uh, thanks uh, and to the audience and, and, and people that view this, uh, so that professionals and business people over club. Uh, it's at the end of the day, just think of the value gap. Uh, and there's always a gap in value and, and the perception that you have of value versus the client's perception of the value you're giving them, whether the client is an internal customer or an external customer. And you've got to simply put, continually understand, uh, where those perceptions are. And you've got to see it in the context, depending on the size of the business, et cetera and try and minimize any internal politics uh, and, and all that sort of rubbish. Uh, so it's continually looking at the value and what is the value to find it, because there will always be a gap in the value, and I call it the value gap, and, 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 and you've got to try and minimize that. So having said that, and what we've chatted about, yeah, America's maybe a, a, a different picture now, but in South Africa, we've been in a picture that maybe you... Some, some of the states are in or, or the country as a whole. Um, and, and it's just about continually every day um, trying to be on your game. And it's tough. It, it's really tough, but it, uh, it, uh, it makes you more resilient. But it, it, it's important that the, the sales leader and the sales professional understand each other. Otherwise, one's going to fall off the bus. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Anybody that watch this and you're saying, who is this guy? Guy Danes. How do I get a hold of him? Go to LinkedIn. And he's also known, AKA, as the Silver Fox. Guy Danes, the Silver Fox. He is the, the master of sales leadership and sales wisdom. Whether you need to expand your horizon or you need some more sales wisdom, go to Sales Wisdom Academy on LinkedIn. You will find Guy Danes, the silver fox there, and look him up. Tell him that you saw him on the Pete Primo show, and uh, hopefully you guys will get together and help each other be make more sales and make more money. With that, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Guy, thank you so much. This was so much fun, and I think we gave everybody that listened to it a lot of red meat, things that they can do in their stores and in their companies and personally to improve themselves and their performance. Thank you so much. Peter, thank you. Pleasure and thanks to Chris and his team for uh, producing the podcast. Thank you very yeah. much. And we'll talk Chris, again. We'll talk again, no doubt. Be good. You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Take care.